morning, BCC. Uh, I love going for a dip in the sea, and I also love it when there is a good, steady swell from the ocean. It's a lot of fun being thrown up in the air by a wave uh, as it rises, and then dropping down on the other side uh, when it has passed. And I've done this many, many times. Um, and my only rule with it is to make sure that I can still touch the bottom between the waves as they come to the shore. So many years ago, Chloe, George, and I were on holiday in Spain, and there was really stormy weather for a couple of the days while we were there. But once the storm had passed, however, a really bright day dawned, and so we decided we'd go down to the beach. Now, although the wind had dropped off a lot, when we got to the beach, the waves were still pretty large. And so I went in to do my usual wave-jumping thing. The only trouble was that I really underestimated how much power was still left over from the storm in that ocean swell. And there was a strong undertow from all the water rushing back out to sea, and the beach also seemed to slope off a whole lot more than I'd remembered it from my previous days there. So I tried going with the first big wave and jumping, but the undertow took my legs out, and so I was forced to roll with it. And when I came up for air, I thought I would be in a gap between the waves, but I wasn't. And I took in a whole lungful of seawater instead, and immediately I was choking and retching and spluttering and trying to be sick, and I was also suddenly 20 yards out deeper than where I wanted to be. This was not going at all well. The waves were churning me about really badly, and I took in seawater instead of air two more times. I don't know if you've ever tried to lift one of those leather medicine balls at the gym, but it felt like someone was lobbing them at me really hard, 50 at a time. The experience of being caught in the churn of ocean waves and rolled about really hard is called the washing machine by surfers. It was like one of those video games where your strength suddenly shoots down to really low, really critical, very suddenly, and suddenly you're in massive trouble, except it was for real. And then I suddenly had this horrific thought, am I going now, Lord? Is this it? It can't be, surely. Not now, I can't drown. My wife and my six-month-old boy are just there on the shore, 30 yards away. And then, one of those powerful waves caught me just right, and it threw me hard onto the shore. I crawled up and just lay there, out of all the surf, hugely relieved that I'd made it, and so happy to feel the beach against my face. Various people had run across to see what was happening, and Chloe's face was as white as a sheet. I really, really scared myself and her that day. You know, of all the 52 years that I've been alive, 2020 is the year which has felt the most like being churned round and round in the washing machine. First, we had bushfires in Australia that seemed completely impossible to put out. Then in the UK, Storm Dennis rolled in and huge tracts of town and countryside got submerged right across Britain, the worst flooding on record in many cases. Then they started impeachment proceedings against the President of the United States, only the third time they've ever done that in a series of 45 presidents. Brexit went ahead after a snap Christmas election, and the last time we had one of those was 1923. 
Not that anyone's thinking about Brexit anymore, but we were all still concerned about it back then. Then coronavirus started spreading. It became really serious. Northern Italy went into lockdown, and we all watched the news to find out what on earth was going on. Remember when we were all watching the news briefings. Then the announcement came on my son Adam's birthday, as it happens, that school was officially cancelled until September, just like that. And grades would be based on what teachers awarded pupils directly. The day after lockdown started in Britain, they postponed the Summer Olympics in Tokyo to 2021. Then the word furlough appeared. Anyone ever use or even know the word furlough before this year? Two of the guys I journeyed through Bible college with got coronavirus really badly. One did a Twitter video from his hospital bed that ended up uh, racking up 1.7 million views, and the other one died. The Prime Minister himself caught COVID-19, but thankfully he recovered. On the 25th of May, a white police officer in the US knelt on the neck of a black man, George Floyd, for eight minutes straight, killing him and sparking a global outcry against racism and causing protests and rallies around the world. A huge explosion of, of ammonium nitrate suddenly killed over 220 uh, people in Beirut and left 300,000 people homeless. Back in the UK, those A-level result marks from teachers turned out not to be quite what they seemed as the result of an algorithm imposed from Ofqual that didn't work properly. So they went back to what the teachers had said in the first place. After all, thank the Lord for all our teachers and all the wonderful work they do for our young people. The economy in Britain has shrunk by one-fifth, the biggest slump since records began. We're officially in a recession. Is anyone else with me in thinking that 2020 has been like going through the washing machine in the ocean when the sea is really rough. We've been tumbled round and round really hard and we don't even know which way is up anymore and uncertainty seems to have reigned. Is, there, is anyone else out there desperate for someone to just come along, reach out their hand and grab us immediately with an unshakable grip of reassurance and steadiness and say, hey, you're going to be okay. My message today is the last in our Theos series, and it is called Faithful God. And it's been such an encouragement to hear all these messages over this summer. You know, God of mercy, God of grace, God of justice, and that incredible message uh, from Doug last week, God of compassion. You know, Pastor Mark has so clearly heard from the Lord about this series on God and his character, hasn't he? And I'm so grateful for that. Well, Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 14, verse 22, uh, or click the YouVersion link we messaged you earlier. In thinking through the whole vast array of Scripture to draw upon and how I might best speak uh, helpfully into a subject like Faithful God, I am drawn back to the remarkable episode of Jesus walking on the water in Matthew 14. You know, this story speaks so clearly about the faithfulness of God in the middle of the uncertainties and the storms of life. If you are being rolled around hard right now in the washing machine of the ocean of life, this message is for you. Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. 
When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. There are so many wonderful lessons uh, from this encounter between Jesus and his disciples, but I'm going to zero in on just three things that demonstrate God's faithfulness. Number one, God is faithful in rescue. You know, this is such a landmark occasion in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus walks on water. And if that's not stunning enough, Peter walks on water momentarily with him as well. Thousands of preachers down the centuries must have explored every inch of this story and come up with thousands of encouragements from it. But the most obvious thing about it to me is that God is faithful in rescue because Jesus saves the day, or in this case, the night. Jesus rescues us. God is faithful in rescue. Peter cries out, Lord, save me. Immediately, it says, Jesus reaches out his hand and grabs Peter to stop him from going under. And in that moment, we see and we feel and we experience everything that Jesus came to do, which is to save people. Luke 19 says this, at 1910, sorry, says this of Jesus, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If you are looking down at at enormous uncertainty and turmoil in your life, Look up instead to the faithful Lord who wants to grab you by the hand and rescue you. Barry Woodward is the director of the Proclaimed Trust, and his ministry is mainly to uh, drug addicts and prison inmates. And I know Barry. He used to be a drug addict himself. He wrote this on his Facebook wall on Friday Just Gone. When you hear a UB40 track in a movie, and it takes you back to the day, Me, Craig, and Huey in Huey's bedroom smoking a bong. Huey and Craig are now dead. So grateful that God stepped into my life. So grateful. That same faithful Jesus who stepped along the water that night to save Peter from drowning and to calm the storm so that all the disciples could make it over to the other side alive is the same faithful Jesus who stepped down out of heaven to come and find Barry and save him. And who comes to find you and me and rescue us and to take us where he is once we die. You know, I love to think that after Jesus first dismisses the disciples and ascends the mountain, and as he he sees the disciples attempting that five-mile row across the Sea of Galilee, way off in the distance as the light fades, his heavenly Father says to him as he prays, you will need to go and rescue those guys because that wind, the northeaster, is coming. And without you, they're going to fall in. If there is one thing to communicate today, it's that Jesus is in the rescuing business and that he faithfully rescues anyone who turns to him. Put an amen on our live stream if you agree with that. If you cry out in your hour of need, Lord, save me, 
He will, because he is faithful to his own nature, which is to save and to keep on saving. So number one, God is faithful to rescue. God is faithful in rescue. Number two, God is faithful in identity. You know, God is completely faithful and fully consistent in his identity. Let's just rewind a moment in our Bible history and show how God's identity from the Old Testament is echoed faithfully by Jesus as he walks on the water. In Exodus 3, 11 to 14, we find Moses expressing these grave doubts about God's confidence and faith in him to be able to lead the Israelites to freedom from captivity in Egypt. It says this from verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign uh, to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is, your na- what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Whenever you have a question that contains, who am I, like the one Moses asked, it gets answered when God says, I am, back to you. In other words, any uncertainty of identity or purpose that you may have is fully resolved, established, and fixed by the faithful, settled, and steadfast confidence that God has in his identity. So let's jump back now to Matthew 14 a moment. In their terror at seeing Jesus walking on the water that night, the disciples cry out in fear, thinking he is a ghost. But Matthew 14, 27, it says this, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now some of our translations don't do full justice to the bit where it says, it is I. In the original, it actually says, I, I am. When the disciples heard Jesus say, I am, to them that night, they would have totally received the reference that Jesus was making, that he was giving exactly the same response that God gave Moses in Exodus. In Jesus' mind, it goes like this, you're asking me who, who it is on the water. My answer is, I am. I can answer this way, but I can answer this way because I am God. And the religious leaders totally understood that too when Jesus gave this answer to them. It's why they got really annoyed with Jesus for saying, I am at the end of John 8. Do you remember that? When he's arguing with them about existing before Abraham. Jesus declares to them before Abraham was, I am. And they received that as blasphemous, which it would have been had it been anybody other than Jesus. Here's the point. The I am who reassures Moses is the same I am who reassures the disciples in the storm. Any uncertainty of identity or purpose that you may have gets resolved, established, and fixed by the faithful, settled, and steadfast confidence Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit have in their identities. So number one, God is faithful in rescue, and number two, God is faithful in identity. Number three, God is faithful in the impossible. Here's a graphic to help us get our heads around what happens in the walking on the water episode. Our media team is going to put that up on the, on the live stream for you there. On the left-hand side is all the things that we are able to do. Next is all the things that we can see that other people can do but that we can't do. 
Then there, are the then there are the impossible things, things that simply can't be done. Or maybe they can, but no one has done them yet. Then there are the things that only God can do. But remember, we are there in part of that kind of left to right continuum. We get included in that. We might be over there on the left, but our faithful God, who has access to all capability, both natural and supernatural, is there on the right, alongside us and for us and with us. And what Jesus does in this encounter on the water is to invite us all to come and participate in the divine nature. In other words, the impossible stuff that only God can do. It's really intriguing to me that it is Peter who is inspired later in his life to write the phrase, participate in the divine nature. In his second letter in 2 Peter 1.4, later on in his life, as he had direct experience of what that was like when he walked on the water with Jesus. And when Jesus says, come to Peter, that, that's actually an invitation to us all to step out over that turmoil of life, like that ocean washing machine in all its danger and uncertainty, and to keep our gaze fixed firmly on him as the author and originator and also the completer and perfecter of our faith. And as we do that over and over again in times of risk and uncertainty and danger and instability, Jesus holds us up. And is that not the essence of what a faithful God can do for us? He inspires us to step out into the impossible. He suspends us up in the middle of the impossible. He grabs us when the impossible gets too much for us. And so we are lent some of his power right in the situation. And then he returns us out of the impossible back to safety, normality, and our comfort zones again when the time is right. Here's something kind of cool that occurred to me. You know, Peter had the courage to travel all the way from left to right in that continuum, from human towards divine. And he experienced a moment of joining God in his divine nature in a place that exists outside and beyond physics. And the, and the reverse is true for Jesus. Jesus has the care to travel all the way from right to left in that continuum to be alongside us. And join us in being human in nature, in a place usually confined by physics. And that's what the two arrows at the bottom of the graphic show us. Peter has enough courage to step out towards God, while Jesus has enough care to step towards humanity. And what this amazing encounter shows us for just a, glim for just a glimpse is that everything is held together in Jesus. He is the solid one. He is the center. You know, there might be storms, there might be wind, there might be waves, fear and doubt and uncertainty, but Jesus is the reliable, steadfast core around which everything in the cosmos flows. If what Jesus can do in this encounter is to stand firm on fluid, then he proves himself without question to be the faithful rock on which we may build our lives. All, those all that storm, those waves, that uncertainty, and those fears flow around Jesus as the fixed point, not around the other way. Jesus is the person who defines everyone and everything. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. When God keeps being faithful in the impossible, we draw down certainty and steadfastness from heaven. So God is faithful in rescue, God is faithful in identity, and God is faithful in the impossible. I'm just going to ask Kevin, our worship director, to return, and, uh, and he's going to just start playing. Uh, and we're going to close in song, in a, in, in a worship song in just a minute, but I just want to offer one more brief story and a practical way for us to respond. 
You know, it's just a plain and straightforward truth that God is faithful. He cannot help himself. You know, a few years ago after my near disaster in the sea in Spain, uh, and when George had been joined by his two brothers, Simon and Adam, we were all on holiday again and going swimming. Uh, This time we were in a swimming pool. All five of us were were by the edge of the pool at the side, getting our armbands on, uh, when Simon, our middle middle son, who was like a toddler, walks confidently towards the water, right over the edge of the pool, and steps onto the water. And of course, he plops just below the surface. And the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, i.e. kids, doesn't it? And uh, if Jesus is not limited by physics, then Simon clearly shared Jesus' mindset about that as well, and was just testing it out. But immediately that happened, my big fatherly arm went down into the water and hoiked him out. And he was spluttering a bit and coughing, but basically he was fine. Here's the application from that illustration and from today's message, in fact. Just as I was present to pull Simon straight out of the water as he was about to sink, let us always take our Heavenly Father with us into every situation so that he can pull us out of it as well. Let us have him present everywhere with us. Let us take our faithful God with us everywhere and ask him to grab us immediately the moment it looks as though the waves of life are about to suck us under. If God is always faithful to us, and he is, let us respond in kind and let us always be faithful back. You know, there's loads of avenues to help us develop in this, but I suggest the number one way is to pray. It's prayer, daily and ongoing prayer. You know, the most basic definition of prayer is conversation with God. Keep telling God about your day and keep listening for his responses. Whether life is mundane or repetitive, or you're in the danger in the waves of life, keep on crying out to the Lord in all situations to come alongside you. Let's all pray, church. Father, I pray Colossians 4 verse 2 over our whole church and everyone who is watching online this morning and that verse says devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful thank you Lord that you are a faithful God thank you Jesus that you are faithful in rescue faithful in identity and faithful in the impossible we lift up everything about our lives right now and we ask for the reassurance of your steady hand to guide us to safety for our souls, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.